You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike, Pensacon, New Jersey. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Never had Frederick Douglass been so nervous. The butterflies in his stomach fluttered with every bounce of the carriage over Baltimore's cobblestone streets as he approached the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad Station. The slave, then known by his birth name of Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey, was embarking on a perilous journey to New York and freedom, his intended destinations. After Douglas's attempt to escape slavery two years prior was betrayed by a fellow slave, he had been jailed, sent to Baltimore by his master, and hired out to work in the city's shipyards. Undeterred, Douglas vowed to try to escape again on September 3rd, 1838, although he knew the risk. I felt assured that if I failed in this attempt, my case would be a hopeless one, he wrote in his autobiography. I would seal my fate as a slave forever. Douglas disguised himself as a free black sailor, a credible ruse given the nautical knowledge he gained from working on the waterfront. The slave also knew that the deference shown to sailors in a seafaring city such as Baltimore could work to his benefit. He donned a red shirt and a sailor's hat and loosely knotted a black cravat around his neck. Into his pocket, the slave stuffed a sailor's protection pass, which he could present in lieu of the free papers that railroad officials required black passengers to carry as proof they were not enslaved. Douglas had borrowed the document from a free African-American seaman, but he bore little resemblance to the physical description detailed on the piece of paper. Close examination by a railroad official or any authority would reveal the subterfuge and imperil both Douglas and his friend. To avoid the scrutinizing eyes of the ticket agent inside the station, Douglas waited and jumped on the moving train at the last moment as it began to puff its way north. Many minutes passed before the conductor finally entered the segregated passenger car bearing the train's African-American riders. Although Douglas remained calm on the outside, his heart pounded as the conductor carefully inspected the passenger's free papers. My whole future depends on the decision of this conductor, he wrote. Finally, the railroad official came to Douglas's seat. I suppose you have free papers, he asked. No, sir. I I never carry my free papers to sea with me, the slave said. But you have something to show me that you are a free man, have you not? The conductor queried. Yes, sir. I have a paper with the American Eagle on it that will carry me around the world, Douglas responded. The slave pulled the document out of his pocket. The eyes of the conductor were drawn to the authoritative eagle emblazoned on the top, rather than the erroneous physical description. After a quick glance, the conductor collected Douglas's fare and continued to the back of the rail car. Had the conductor looked closely at the paper, Douglas wrote, he could not have failed to discover that it called for a very different-looking person than himself if he had. Douglas's anxiety did not totally fade along with the conductor's footsteps. He remained subject to arrest at any moment as the train passed through the slave states of Maryland and Delaware. The faster the train sped, the slower it seemed to drag to the fleeing slave. Minutes were hours, and hours were days during this part of my flight, he wrote. In addition, 
Douglas's cover was nearly blown on multiple occasions. The trip required the fugitive slave to cross the Susquehanna River by ferry, and on board was an old acquaintance who began to ask probing questions about his journey before Douglas could break away. Then, boarding a northbound train across the river, Douglas looked through the window of another train stopped on the track and spotted a white ship captain for whom he had recently worked. The captain's gaze never fixed on the slave, but the eyes of the German blacksmith whom Douglas knew did fall upon him. The blacksmith looked at Douglas intently, but never called him out to the railroad officials. I really believe he knew me, Douglas wrote, but had no heart to betray me. In spite of the obstacles, Douglas arrived safely in New York no less than 24 hours after leaving Baltimore. Although on free soil, Douglas was not legally a free man. Packs of slave catchers roamed the streets of New York searching for fugitives. Anti-slavery activist David Ruggles sheltered Douglas until his intended wife, a free black housekeeper named Anne Murray, arrived from Baltimore. The afternoon following their nuptials, Douglas and his new bride set off to safer refuge in New Bedford, Massachusetts. There, he began his life as an abolitionist crusader. To better conceal his identity from slave catchers, the escaped slave changed his last name from Bailey to Douglas. His supporters eventually raised enough money for Douglas to purchase his liberty and become a free man in the eyes of the law. When Douglas published his autobiography in 1845, he divulged few details about his escape in order to protect those who abetted him and keep authorities ignorant of the method he employed to slip the bonds of slavery. It was not until 1881 that he finally detailed his escape. Douglas always looked back on September 3rd, 1838 as the day when his free life began, and for the rest of his life he celebrated that date in place of his unknown birthday. We're celebrating Juneteenth this week, as Gwyneth said. Uh, in Circle of Hope and everywhere. Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States, dating back to 1865. It was on June 19th that the Union soldiers, led by Major General Gordon Granger, landed in Galveston, Texas, with news that the war had ended and that he, the enslaved people were now free. Note that this was two years after President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation which had become official January 1st, 1863. The Emancipation Proclamation had little impact on the Texans due to the minimal number of Union troops to enforce the new executive order. However, with the surrender of General Lee in April of 1865 and the arrival of General Granger's regiment, the forces were finally strong enough to influence and overcome the resistance. Again, as Gwyneth was saying, we were celebrating at 2212 South Broad Street on Wednesday, Juneteenth proper, and we were at an event called Continuing, Continuing to Seek Freedom. The circle mobilizing because Black Lives Matter Compassion Team organized an event called, uh, here it is, Still Seeking Freedom, which was a film screening of the recent Hollywood film, If Beale Street Could Talk. The film, for those that didn't see it or weren't able to go to the event, uh, was based on an a 1974 novel by James Baldwin. Another great film about him, about him is called I Am Not Your Negro. Highly recommend it. The, the title of the film that we watched on Wednesday, If Beale Street Could Talk, is a reference to the 1916 
W.C. Handy song, Beale Street Blues, named after Beale Street in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. Woot, Audrey, you like Memphis? No. Oh, no, the wrong side of the state? No. Oh, wrong side of the state, sorry. Nashville. <laughs> Nashville. Miles in part, yes. <laughs> well, Beale Street, sorry, I, I knew you were from Tennessee. I forgot, I forgot the enmity. Um, but Beale Street in, in Memphis, that some of us like, um, is, is a center of black music in America. And anyways, the film is this, it's this beautiful portrayal of this beautiful man and this beautiful woman um, and, and this, this amazing, unique man, uh, Alonzo Hunt, nicknamed Fawny, is just being ground down by a criminal justice system that is inherently racist. Uh, his his bride-to-be, Tish, uh, is vividly recalling the passion, respect, and trust that have connected her and her artist friend, fiance, Alonzo Hunt. This is, this is the, what the book is based on. Um, the event that Circle Mobilizing Because Black Lives Matter organized was, was calling, called Still Seeking Freedom because James Baldwin was still seeking freedom in 1974, so he wrote this book. He's still seeking uh, the freedom that uh, supposedly had come at least as... Uh, early as 1865, but we are still seeking freedom today, 40 years later, even after Baldwin wrote his book. We need these stories of freedom. The successful ones like Frederick Douglass and the unsuccessful ones like James Baldwin's Alonzo Hunt. We need these stories because we know that freedom is a long process And we know that these stories are universal to all Americans because they are American history. And they're universal to all of humanity because our God, the creator of heaven and earth, and each one of us is a God of liberation. God planted in us a seed of hope that longs for its fruition in a true sense of freedom, a sense of what it means to be human that could not be buried under a hellish criminal justice system or its predecessor, hundreds of years of chattel, racialized slavery. Frederick Douglass recorded his feelings before he attempted his first escape from slavery uh, uh, in Baltimore, Maryland, just 100 miles south of the Mason-Dixon line. You are loosed from your moorings and are free. I am fast in my chains and am a slave. You move merrily before the gentle gale and I sadly before the bloody whip. You are freedom's swift-winged angels that fly around the world. I am confined in the bands of iron. Oh, that I were free. Oh, that if I were on one of your gallant decks under your protecting wing. Alas, betwixt me and you the turbid waters roll. Go on, go on. Oh, that I could also go. Could I but swim? If I could fly, oh, why was I born a man of whom to make a brute? The glad ship is gone. She hides in the dim distance. I am left in the hottest hell of unending slavery. Oh, God, save me. God, deliver me. Let me be free. Is there any God? Why am I a slave? I will run away. I will not stand. Get caught or clear. I'll try it. I had as well die with Og as the fever. 
I have only one life to lose. I had as well be killed running as die standing. Only think of it, 100 miles straight north, and I am free. Try it. Yes. God is helping me. I will. It cannot be that I shall live and die a slave. I will take to the water. This is very this very bay shall yet bear me into freedom. The steamboat steered in the northeast course from North Point. I will do the same. And when I get to the head of the bay, I will turn my canoe adrift and walk straight through Delaware into Pennsylvania. When I get there, I shall not be required to have a pass. I can travel without being disturbed. Let but the first opportunity offer, and come what will, I am off. Meanwhile, I will try to bear up under the yoke. I am not the only slave in the world. Why should I be free? I can bear as much as any of them. Besides, I am but a boy, and all boys are bound to someone. It may be that my misery and slavery will only increase the happiness. When I get free, there is a better day coming. Frederick Douglass from the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. We need Frederick Douglass's story. My brother uh, worked at a one of the first places he worked in Philadelphia was called Frederick Douglass Elementary, and we, we called it Freddie D. We had a compassion team connected to them. I don't know if that's disrespectable, but uh, that's my word of uh, of uh, uh, love for Freddie Freddie D. We need Freddie D's story, not just because we're all oppressed by the legacy of slavery. Uh, we say in our Proverbs uh, at Circle of Hope, in the United States, the sin of racism impacts all we experience. It is a fact of life for which the dominators are accountable. We need, we need a story because that's our, our creed. But we also need this story because we need to get free in maybe even a bigger sense than the freedom that he was talking about in that quote. I know that getting free from the sin of racism is probably the pinnacle of hope, if you're, if you're aware of it at all. It's the tippy top of hope, that you could hope that the system would actually change. Uh, but the difference between escape and liberation is the desire that Freddie D. gave us in that quote. You know, his sense of freedom began before he got to Massachusetts, long before he bought his freedom according to the law, before he made it on the railroad train to New York. True freedom began long before he escaped, and here he was aspiring to it. And the need for it persisted long after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, or the June, uh, the Juneteenth celebration in Texas in 1865, or the writing of If Beale Street Could Talk in 1974, or the film adaptation in 2019. I think that we all know something about this seed of liberation that is planted in us and the difficulty and care it takes to, to help it grow. I believe that this innate sense of freedom comes from God, the creator of heaven and earth, who was revealed to the chosen people, Israel, in a decisive act of liberation. We all may know that story a bit better than the history of Juneteenth or the story of Frederick Douglass's escape. I did not know that. I did not know that there were bands of men prowling the streets of, of New York, the northern city, where they could just snatch him back. The story of Exodus is the story that, 
that binds us together in a lot of ways. And, and it, it bound Frederick Douglass to his people as well. And it, it continues to inform who we are and who God is, of course. And it, it's a little bit more familiar to us. So you know maybe a little something about Moses and the burning bush being called to lead God's people out of slavery. Maybe you know a bit about the ten plagues. Maybe you had to memorize them in Sunday school. I've already forgotten them. I had to know them in seminary. Um, but I bet Bryce knows every one of them. Yeah. The, you, know, you know about the Red Sea splitting. Let my people go, Charlton Heston voice. Yeah, I just want to, I know you know the story, at least a little bit. Um, it's, it's, it's part of American history, too, because it's so iconic, even if you're not a person of faith. But I just want to zoom in to one little section right, the, right before the people of Israel get really free. They follow God, God's presence in Exodus 13 in the form of a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And God has led them right up to the edge of the Red Sea and they have camped at a place called Piahiroth. And, and there, they're camped. They think they've made it out free. It's been this miraculous escape from Egypt. They go out like plundering gold. And now they're in the desert trying to get away and following God. And here comes Pharaoh and his army. He's coming to get them. Just like those roaming gangs of men in New York were coming to get Frederick Douglass. They thought they were free. But no, here they come again. So here's the, the part, Exodus 10, Exodus 14, 10 through 14. Pharaoh's army is approaching, and the Israelites look up. And there they were, the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. How many, how many words from God begin right there? Because God knows how afraid we are all the time. So receive that right now. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. That's our God, y'all. That's the one. How often do we need this hope? The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. But let's not take that hope as a encouragement for passivity the Israelites are about to do something terrifying, impossible incredibly risky walking through the Red Sea on dry land with your oppressors at your heels walking with the, the water piled up on the side with your past coming up from behind of course they're tempted to go back of course your past is on your heels. Of course, it's incredibly tempting to give up. It's, it's almost impossible to have enough hope to do something like that. You know this, right? You, you feel about ready to be buried 
all the time, that that seed of freedom that was planted in you is never going to grow, either from without or from within. It's, it's, it's not enough, it feels like. I think you feel that. Maybe not in this moment, but, but you have. There are plenty of graves in your life, in your past, and maybe it feels like you're walking through the cemetery right now. But the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. That stillness with God is the source of our hope. The sense of freedom that, that Freddie D. knew as he planned his escape and his second escape. That sense of freedom that led James Baldwin to write revolutionary books. Despite this despairing quote from 1974, I had no childhood. I was born dead. That's how James Baldwin felt. And yet out of that despair, he found enough hope to, to speak out and to be remembered so many years later, but to have transformed so many lives and to continue with his message being adapted and affecting us today. Although I did hear that they rounded off all the corners of James Baldwin for that movie. Too soft, according to one uh, critic, because James Baldwin, he was not soft. But still, you know, still a beautiful movie. The stillness, the stillness of God is the source of our stepping through every threshold of risk. We need some hope. We need a lot of hope to take a step into anything new. How do you not go back? How do you not just stay comfortable right where you are? I think that tension is, is at the heart of the risky situation that you encounter every time you open your eyes in the morning. I hope that you felt some of that tension in the exercise that Casey led us in today and in some of the songs that Stevie was leading us to sing. I hope you've already tapped into that, that longing that you have for newness, for exodus, for freedom, for acceptance of this new place that God has led you to. The risk of your freedom. Our freedom. The freedom of God that was displayed so mightily in Exodus for the chosen people. This seed that was planted in Israel has flowered in Jesus and, and been given to each of you here in every person in the world. Jesus is there to flower in freedom. He said that his work was to, in Luke 4, 18, he said his work was to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And Paul says of him in Galatians that he paid the price for our freedom on the cross. Christ paid the price so that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to all the people of the world through Jesus Christ and we would receive the promised spirit through faith. Move through the risk of moving on. Cry out to the Lord if you need to, and he will say to you, do not be afraid. The price has been paid. Your past is going to be swallowed behind you. The graves that you thought you might need to return to, there's no way back to them.
keep moving through the seas of despair, the patterns of comfort, the oppression of godless systems, the doubt of feeling far from God. Move through. Keep moving. Don't go back. I pray that you encounter that stillness of the Lord who fights for you, and in it, the hope of freedom that helps you to keep moving. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.